0: Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. And as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com.
1: Hi, I'm Catherine Wilson. i here to talk about Middlesbrough Football Club. Uh, and you can follow me at Best Lady on Twitter.
2: My name is Dylan Arbella. Most of my football writing is for Football South Coast. But for the sake of this podcast, I'll be talking about Manchester United. And I'm on Twitter at Dylan Avella.
3: Hello, I'm Dan from uh, West Bromwich Albion website 1878.net. You can find me on Twitter at the What's22, or you can find me on the website on Twitter um, at 1878WBA. underscore I think that's very <laughs> bad that I don't know that.
0: <laughs> that felt pretty convincing. Uh, but thanks so much for joining us, everyone. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Uh, we'll start with you, Catherine. Obviously, it looked like a very tough match uh, heading into it, but then you uh, played very well yourselves and surely came away from that uh, match feeling you should have gotten all three points.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's been quite an interesting week for us. Um, we actually managed to claim our first win of 2017 during the week against Sunderland, which is very exciting. Um, quite weird though, in a way where it felt like the points were kind of irrelevant for both teams because we're kind of in that um, very poor situation down the bottom of the table there. Um, So Manchester City yesterday um, was quite worried about it. Wasn't particularly looking forward to it, but um, actually it's probably the best I've seen us play this season. Um, The crowd were great. Everyone was still really behind the team and on their side. And it was, the first time in a long time that i've seen real passion and commitment and uh we actually look like doing something and we did so um it was a good match for negredo who scored against his old club um couldn't help but feel a little bit of grief that we didn't come away with all three points after such a brilliant performance
0: yeah totally understandable and we'll, we'll talk about decisions a little bit later um but how have you uh, felt as a fan this season of a team that has been so, so strong defensively but just hasn't been able to find the goals? Coming into this match, we're last place in goals scored at home. Is, is that frustrating?
1: Yeah, it is. Um, I completely understood the way that the previous manager, talk Kranker was trying to set the team up um, in a very defensive first kind of way and to break on the counterattack. Um, But it just became more and more apparent that we didn't have, um, I guess we didn't have the quality in midfield to bridge that gap and to get enough support up to Negrado. So while we had that um, excellent defence for most of the season, um, there's only so much pressure you can put them under before it all goes wrong. So, yeah, it's been quite difficult. Um, I've tried to stay positive. Um, And I guess now it just looks like we're trying to make the best end to the season under our caretaker manager, Steve Agnew. Um it's very, very unlikely that we will stay up, but I think we can definitely start planning for next year.
0: Yeah, uh, I definitely think uh it's sad that you're uh most likely, you know, I don't think it's mathematically confirmed yet, but heading down, but uh keeping keeping everything together and staying healthy and everything as a club is definitely very important when switching divisions. Uh Dan, I'd like to talk to you about uh Tony Pulis. Because uh, I actually got to catch a match with you uh, when I was over there in England at the Hawthorns. There were people saying that they wouldn't be back while Pulis was still there. And surely that hasn't changed considering his record once getting to 40 points is abysmal. It very much looks like his teams pretty much give up once that happens. And unfortunately, that seems to be happening again.
3: Well, yeah, I think think the statistic is one win from all of the teams he's managed once the team that he's managing got to 40 points. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I mean, you know, I'm, I don't want to go on too much because I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm a bit sore from it when I'm, you know, it, it's OK. We, we, we've got 40 points. We Well, we've got 44. We're, we're in the Premier League again next season. Um, you know, it, we're consecutively staying up season after season. Um, we haven't had, had any real threat of relegation. Um, and we've got some decent players at the club and we've got a decent fan base. You know, it's it's not bad times to be an Albion fan. So let's get that caveat out of the way. But it's frustrating being a Baggies fan because every season you know what you're going to get. If you get knocked out of the FA Cup in January, it's going to be a long slot to the end of the season. It's more than likely we're going to stay up, but then there's absolutely nothing to look forward to. Um, and it's the same for many clubs in and around us. You know, it's it is it gets quite dull towards the end of the season because you're literally playing for eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth spot, and it's because the excitement isn't around the the games before kickoff. I think the players themselves get a bit lacklustre because they know they've they've already managed to succeed in in their task and in keeping the team up, whether that's subconsciously or or even consciously. Um, and so I just think the season has completely petered out for us. And as much as you know, like I say, we thought we, we we've got to 40 points and, and we're we, you know effectively safe again in the Premier League for next season, um, it's just the, the last seven or eight games have been pff, tough to watch. We, the, the the Arsenal game in between all of those in which we won three-one is the only bright spot from an absolutely awful last eight games. We've we've um, we've only scored in one of those eight games. So seven of our last eight games we've failed to score. Mm. Um, so for, so for any for any fan. I mean, knowing knowing I was going to the to the match the weekend um, at the time to Leicester, I really didn't think that we were going to score. I, I just genuinely had no. There was a bit of a lack of excitement around the ground, um, and it, it is I can't really put my finger on it because Tony Pierce has got the team playing good, effective, decent attacking football at times this season it's not you know we not, we don't ever peg teams back and we've probably got the least amount of possession for teams um, in the league but we've just shown absolutely none of what we've shown before in our, our last seven games and it surely can't be a coincidence that this has come after we've secured our Premier League safety um, and it's not just something that's just happened this season either it happens season after season now of course, I don't want to sound like so great because I've got people on there's people on this podcast now that wish they were out in the league, and I'm not going to moan too much. But you know, at the end of the day, we pay a lot of money to, to watch football, especially in the Premier League, and um, it's not particularly um, very exciting being a Baggies fan. Um, I've got no idea how that's going to change. Um, a change of manager might give us that edge in terms of a bit of excitement, bringing in more attacking players, being less rigid. But then the owners will rightfully point to the fact that Puget almost guarantees season upon season. And then that comes back round to the fact that that gives the club money. Um, And football is so money-driven at the minute that the fans seem to be forgotten about. So, I mean, you know, as long as the club are raking in the hundred-odd million-plus in TV revenue every season, who cares? You know, that, that's that's what football is now, isn't it? So, of the game itself, against Leicester, we were absolutely shockingly bad. Barely created a chance. Rondon gave the ball away in the middle of a park for the to and score. Um, no real moments of note for the Albion. A couple of shots straight at Schmeichel. In fact, Schmeichel made one good save from a header in the first half from Brunt. And that, that's pretty... Pr- Pretty much it. It, was, um, it was absolutely boring, like it was for most Premier League games on Saturday. I think they all finished 0-1 or 0-2. So, yeah, you've got depressing Dan back, I think. Mm.
0: Well, that, not super great to hear that. Uh, hope hope you feel better. Uh, but you mentioned the lack of creating chances. Obviously, in this stretch, the goal scoring has not been there. Do you put that up to the forwards, or do you put that up to the creators, or do you put that up to the coaching?
3: I will put that up to Phillips was out for a spell and on his return he hasn't looked the player he was and now he's back out injured again. He was a big, important player for us. Um, The the transition of the ball working its way through the midfield to the forward players isn't quick enough or as quick as it has been this season at times. That is mainly in part due to Darren Fletcher's absolutely abysmal, abysmal passing ability. The amount of times he gave the ball away in our last home game, US Aircov, it was absolutely, horrifically bad. And I'm not just saying that. If it was a young kid, then he would have got absolutely stacks of abuse from the crowd. Um, or if he, was a, if he was a name that wasn't Darren Fletcher. Because, you know, and, and the problem for me is I don't want to see Darren Fletcher getting away with that performance just because his name is Darren Fletcher and he played for Man United and he's won trophies. Doesn't matter who you are or what your name is. If you're playing shit, then you should not should not be anywhere near the team. Luckily, um, Tony Pulis saw that and he did drop him for the game against Leicester. It didn't make too much of a difference, but uh, to, be, to be honest, I think the, the whole squad just seemed to be looking very jaded. Um, Rondon isn't scoring at all at the minute, but asking any striker to score numerous amounts of goals playing in the system that Tony Pulis plays, he's asking for a miracle anyway. Um, He's so isolated a lot of the time, looking for players to join him in the attack and they're nowhere near him, being asked to run into the channels, being asked to hold the ball up and wait five, six, seven seconds for players to join him. Do you know what? I can understand why the man is so frustrated. um, And... No striker in the world is going to score with maybe one chance a game every week. It just isn't going to happen because he barely gets that. So I can't really blame anyone yet. I think it it is just a squad as a whole. We've just we've got to forty points, and um, as much as people don't want to say this or the players won't accept this criticism, but there's no other way of saying that we're on the beach and and that's it. Look forward to next season just get the last few games out of the way um, and look towards what hopefully will be a m- more exciting season next, next year.
0: Yeah. I think the Baggies fans definitely deserve that. Um, Dylan with Manchester United just realized how uh, not super excited this uh, <laughs> group will be after recent results. Manchester <laughs> United obviously drawing in what is a very important run in to try to get that fourth spot. Um Obviously interested to hear about the match on the whole, but also uh, a lot of people questioning Pogba this season and then some people saying these past two matches without him show what he has been doing for this team that people haven't been noticing. Is that your view as well?
2: Uh, I'll tackle the, po- the Pogba point first. I feel like he has been harshly criticized by um, some people uh, throughout, throughout football, but I do feel that you did la- you could see his lack of... The lack of energy in the midfield um over the last two games um that he brings to the side but i also feel that on the ball he hasn't offered enough for united this this year in terms of assists in terms of um passes that have led uh to led to goals uh before the assist rather and goals itself i feel he's a fantastic player, he's a fantastic athlete um but so far this season, even though some people will say that he's he chucked out all these stats saying, oh, look, he's past completion, whatever, la, 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 la. I feel that for the money that we've spent so far, he hasn't he hasn't come to the party quite as much as we would have liked. Um, but saying that, he's still a United player, hopefully for the next five, six, seven years. Um And I can see him as a key part of a United side that's going to be winning stuff in the future. Um, But looking back on our... I'll I'll just um, pop back to the midweek Manchester derby, which was our first big game post-Ibra. So basically, it was a game that a win could have seen us move into the top four. Um, But for some reason, Mourinho seemed happy. to set up for a draw, we were without Ibra. we were without um, a number of a number of key players. Uh, but I felt even though we were away from home, we should have went for the win. Um, and in the end, we put in a pretty pretty dull performance. Uh, the big talking point of that game was the Fellaini red card, um, which you know, for those who haven't seen it, have a ch- check it out on YouTube. It's pr- it's pretty stupid, really, to get. Sort of um, baited by Aguero in that sense, um, and thankfully that means he misses a few games because I think he's been—he's just—he goes through patches of four or five games where you think, oh, maybe he can—he can bring something to this United side, but he's a—he's a mid-table player, and for what for the club United want to be, he's nowhere nowhere near the caliber needed. Uh, moving forward to the the Swansea game. Um, a couple of days ago. It's actually a shame Guido isn't on to give a more positive view on this game because <laughs> fair play to Swansea in the position they're in. They put in a fantastic performance and um, the big, the big talking point coming out of this game was the penalty awarded to Manchester United after Rashford um, went down in the box. Um, at first, I did think uh Lucas Fabianski did touch Rashford, but the replays show that he might have, might have got a, a part of his body to Rashford, but it was it was a dive, and that's that's the way I see it. Um, all the all the all the news regarding Rashford has been positive up to this point, but really, he's lost his innocence now, um, and basically, a lot of people will now see him as you know, a, you know how, how they'd see a. 25 year old footballer without sort of giving him the benefit out of being sort of this fresh-faced guy um and this part of me i Guido put out a tweet um obviously aggrieved by the decision um just before halftime um and i replied saying saying how saying how upset he was with the decision i said pretty much that i wouldn't have been upset if we missed because I, I hate seeing those sort of things. So I understand that you're you're someone that uh, toes the line that if there's if there's if the opposition makes the referee have to make a decision, um, then that's their fault. But I think there's also a line, and I think Rashford Rashford cloth crossed that line because he was down before Fabianski even came to, came um, came for him. Second half, United. Didn't really improve, uh, even though they had the goal advantage. And in the end, Sigurdsson, um, a player that's I think is one of the classiest in the Premier League, simply knocked it knocked a, knocked in a free kick. It was interesting. Herrera moved back onto the onto the goal line in an effort to stop that, but uh, Fernando Loriente moved up closer. So. And Herrera moved back up into the into the wall, and you know a couple of seconds later, uh, Gilfy put the ball exactly where Herrera was. So fair play to him. Um, and in the end, Swansea deserved the point, and if anyone deserved to win, it definitely wasn't Manchester United. Unfortunately, out of this game, Luke Shaw went down with what looks like to be a a another knee injury, which is a shame because he seemed to. Um, Start. He seemed to be starting to get uh, game time for Manchester United, which seemed unlikely if a month or so ago after Mourinho had been lambasting him in the press. Also, Eric Bay picked up a another injury, which doesn't look doesn't look too uh, promising. Which means that United has a pretty lengthy injury list, especially in defence. We've got Phil Jones out, Chris Smalling, uh, Marcus Rojo. Who some reports say could be out for you know seven or eight months. Um, Mensah, uh, Luke Shaw, and Bay, and add to that. So that's what six, six defenders, quality defenders. Um, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic is our top goal scorer who got out at the moment, but still, um, it's, it's a poor week for United. Four more points and we would have been in third. Um, and really, it's just continuing a pretty, a relatively poor league season. Uh, we're lucky that Manchester City drew against Borough. Uh, from some, from some things I've seen around around the place, I didn't watch this particular match, but Borough came really close to actually picking up the three points, which would, would have been tremendous. And just to let you behind the iron, let you behind the curtain rather. Uh, we're recording during the Liverpool game, which I have an eye on, which is currently nil-nil, so hopefully Watford can get up there to uh, maybe give United another chance to make it in the top four, even though, to be fair, they probably don't deserve it at this stage. Continuing the worst um, unbeaten run in the history of the Premier
0: League. <laughs> uh, wait, are you back in sixth now?
2: No, no, we're in, okay. we're in fifth. Um, okay. All right, good, good, good. But, that just gives us hope, which isn't good.
0: <laughs> right, right. I, I still think you have a decent chance of catching Liverpool. Although, as you said, that match is still happening at this moment. If, if you were on a scale of one to ten with your chances of making Champions League this year, where would you fall?
2: If you take in consideration Europa League, I will say eight. Like, pretty. I'm pretty confident we okay. still make the Europa League, make the Champions League in some way or another.
0: Gotcha. All right, well, it'll definitely be interesting to see that because I believe that also has financial ramifications with uh, the kit sponsors and all kinds of stuff. So yeah. it'd definitely be better to just do that and not have to worry about figuring that all out over the summer. Um, as for Tottenham, we had a, a pretty low-key week. I mean, just the last ever North London derby at White Hart Lane, but aside from that, not much. Um, obviously, just a, a massive, massive fixture. I was freaking out, as I'm sure every Spurs fan was heading into this one. Um even though we've clearly been the better team this season, not just in the table, but uh, basically since January, we've been the best team in the league. Um, yeah, the other uh, obvious concern was that uh, Moussa Dembele did not start. He's been just so terrific for us this season. Um, and then Kyle Walker also didn't start, but we'll get into that whole situation here in a little bit. Um, but yeah, there was there was definitely concern coming into this match. Uh, and then the first 15 minutes, they outplayed us. They were pressing high. They were... Um, really just chasing everything down, and it seemed like we were on the back foot there for the most part at the beginning of the match. Uh, but then things finally started to turn around. Ali had a header that he arguably should have put in, but Oxlade-Chamberlain kind of put him off the header. Um, up to you if you think he should have put it in or not. Then Erickson had a chance off of a, a wonderful run by Sun, where th- they were playing Oxlade-Chamberlain as a wing back, and this is when we found out that you shouldn't do that, because um, Sun just had a field day on him for the most part. Uh, he just left him in the dust, had a shot that got parried, um, which pulled Petrček out of goal. Ericsson very much should have just slotted in, um, but unfortunately was unable to do so. So then we head to the half at nil-nil. Every single Spurs fan um, obviously fearing that those chances would come back to haunt us. Uh, but then basically from, from the beginning of the second half to the end of the match, we were clearly the better team. Um, end up getting uh, the illegal which was absolutely huge for us after just a beautiful bit of play from Erickson um, in the box, just constantly keeping his feet moving and avoiding all of the Arsenal players that were there. Um, I think Oxley chamberlain also had a chance to clear that, the the Ali shot off the goal line, but missed it. Um, And then later, there was the penalty situation. We've already talked about a few of these. Um, And I'm just now realizing that we actually have all three covered uh, with Sané and Catherine's match and... uh, Rashford and Dylan's and Kane and mine, um, but I, I do not think that this was a dive. It, it does bring up the interesting conversation of: does the player have the responsi- Does the attacking player have a responsibility to avoid contact? We'll again get into that more. But as we've always said on the show, you can't put yourself in that situation. And while I do think Kane probably made more of that contact than there should be, it was a foul and it was in the box, and for me was therefore a penalty. Um, but then he took it brilliantly anyway, then later on in the match, Alexis had a clear handball in the box that wasn't called. So, uh, kind of balance of averages, et cetera, et cetera, for us. But, um, obviously then we just wrote it out. We had a couple more chances. It, it really could have been, you know, four or five from us in the end. But, uh, had a huge match. He had nine saves, uh, on top of the two that ended the two shots that ended up being goals. Um, but it really could have gotten out of hand and I don't think anybody watched that match. And thought that Arsenal was uh, anywhere near our level, at least on the day. Um, The end result of this, obviously, is that we are going to finish ahead of Arsenal for the first time in 20 years. um, Which is just fantastic for us. Uh, A lot of Arsenal fans bashing us for enjoying uh, finishing ahead of them. Despite the fact that they celebrate what they call St. Totteringham's Day every year. And they're surprised and somewhat frustrated that (laughs) we're doing it back. Um, I personally haven't done that a whole lot just because, uh, man, you never know how things could go wrong. But um, obviously that's huge. We basically sealed Champions League. We're one point away from ensuring that we'll be in next season's Champions League, although it's felt like we've uh, definitely been favorites for that for quite some time now. Um, Now the Kyle Walker thing. I said I'd come back to it. News story is breaking today that Kyle Walker and Mauricio Pochettino have had a fallout, and he's definitely leaving in the summer. So here's the deal. The whole Kyle Walker thing has started with the fact that he hasn't started a couple of the big matches recently, most notably the Chelsea match and the FA Cup semi-final, and then obviously the Arsenal match. But, and I tweeted this out earlier today, if you look at the last 10 matches Tottenham have played, he's literally played every other one. And for some reason, everyone has forgotten that we rotated both pairs of fullbacks down the stretch last season. This is not new, nor surprising. It just happened to fall the way against Kyle Walker. Um... (laughs) Is it possible that he is frustrated that he's not started these two big matches? Absolutely. He's one of the most Tottenham till I die people there. There's even a vine attesting to that fact that a lot of people were retweeting today. (laughs) But um, players that fall out with Mauricio Pochettino do not end up on the bench. They end up gone. They end up playing with the youth teams like we saw with Townsend, like we saw with Atabayor, like we saw with Capu, like we saw with Bentaleb. This is very much a thing that has happened in the past, players falling out with Pochettino, and they do not get to stick around. They they very quickly disappear from all social media stuff. They aren't in any of the team photos when they do like the photos at training. They just vanish, and that has not been the case with Kyle Walker. Do I think he wants to play more matches? Absolutely. Is it possible that he leaves? Yes, but this whole, he's had a row, he's been dropped, he's fighting with Pochettino, I I just do not believe for a second. Um, This whole double rotation of wingbacks that we were doing last year is because we believed in Trippier and Davis, and I think Trippier has definitely put in performances this season that have warranted this rotation. The only reason we aren't seeing rotation at left back is because Rose has been hurt, so we've had to play Ben Davis there. Although we even did try to rotate that in the FA Cup, Not for better or worse. It was for worse. (laughs) But with uh, Sun Hyung-min trying to play at left wing back. Um, But anyway, I think this is a very big story that has come from very little, in my opinion. Do I believe the core that Walker wants to play more? Yes. But pretty much all the other stuff, I think, has been hyperbolized out of control. All right, uh, now we're going to head into the topic. We've talked about it already a couple times here uh, about these contentious decisions at the weekend. We're not going to blame the referees this week. We already have to do like three of those shows a year. We're going to go more on the player side because the Sané one was pretty clearly a dive without contact. The Rashford one, he kind of dragged and then jumped over Fabianski. The Kane one, he invited the contact before going down. Do do you guys think that there is a kind of culture of, of diving, a problematic... And systemic issue with that in the Premier League, and if so, how do you think it could be combated?
3: Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think any kind of simulation, any kind of leaving your foot in, even any kind of jumping over a tackle and rolling around on the floor. To be honest, I think we should just see punishment if the referee sees it with with a yellow card as such. But then we need to see retrospective punishment after the games. We also need to see managers, this is the key one, I think, we need to see managers condemning their own players because until that happens, players are just going to continue to do it. We do see plenty of managers berating other teams' players or the opposition's players when they do such a thing, but it's never really... We've seen it probably on the odd occasion where managers probably don't stick up for their player as much. But we need to see managers openly condemning their own players on a regular basis. And we need to see much harsh. We need to see like three, four game bans if if you're caught diving. Um, Players need to stay on their feet as much as possible for the integrity of the game. And it just absolutely frustrates me because it gives gives football on the whole a bad name. You look at some of the sports that we've got around the world and the prime example is probably got probably rugby, um, players will go full-blooded into tackles, bash their heads open, and they'll just get up and crack on with it, you know, it's and it's no issue, we need to start seeing less of the Sanchez malark that we saw from the weekend, where he pretended, what well, well, did he split his lips slightly, did he, poor baby, <laughs> absolutely ridiculous, the, these men need to grow a pair and start getting on with it, and start, you know, behaving how you'd want you know your children to behave growing up you you want your children to be honest you want them to be trustworthy you, you don't want them rolling around on the floor trying to con the referee um, and con your opponent because it, it, you know you, these players should be good enough to not do that
1: actually i don't think that in the in the past couple of years things have got any worse um, i think for the past 10 years there's been this has been on the cards, it's been around, it's been happening. Um, I think what's happened in more recent years is that referees do feel more empowered to do something about it now and I do think that the standard of refereeing in the past two, three years has actually improved quite a lot. Um, If you think about it now, um, we all know who the referees are and and what they're like and which games we remember them refereeing. In the past, not so much. I think there's a lot more attention paid to the refs now and how they handle things. Um, But in terms of the players, I think great shout from you there about um, managers disciplining their own players. Um, uh, But, I mean, I think we've just had a bad weekend of it. Um, A bit coincidental that there's been three really um, big Penalties that have been given and they have been quite contentious, um, but actually, sort of looking back, I'm not sure that it's getting worse. If you know what I mean.
2: Um, I I want to speak a bit to what you guys have both you've both sort of touched on um, in regards to the managers. Uh, Paul Clement, I thought he was pretty. He, he seems a pretty, pretty, pretty knowledgeable man, and he came out after the game and he said. I'm not saying cheat, I'm saying deceived. It's the words I've chosen. I would use cheat another time on this occasion. I'm saying he deceived him, him being the uh, referee in refer referring to the Rashford incident. And I think that's, that's a fair point because Rashford, it is his first time. There is people like Sanchez who, um, unfortunately for him, has developed a reputation for being someone that goes down very easily. Uh, but then you look at Mourinho who, you know, Puts out the typical line of saying, "I didn't view the incident. I didn't watch it. I have what Marcus has said, um, and he said the the goalkeeper touched him. And you know that's what, Arsene Wenger is a, a prime example of someone that's always that hasn't seen a football game in his life from what his press conferences <laughs> uh, sound like. But then you've got people like Gary Neville, who of course has been a manager himself, have been involved in. A lot of coaching, obviously a, a pundit now, he's gone out on Twitter and said, um, his tweet was, he doesn't need to justify himself for w- winning his team a penalty. And you know what? That's what a lot of professionals seem to think, especially when it's in relation to their team. But it's 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 embarrassing, really. Like, I, I watch the game with a, a, a lot of people that... When I watch games with people that aren't... Uh, Football fans um the first thing that they say is, "Oh, why do they always go down so easy?" And I look at them and say, "Look, I have no idea I really don't and there's not much you can say say because the professionals continue to um continue to put forward evidence saying that they do go down easily. I was at a an amateur game on the weekend where there was a there was a dive in the box. So it's not just the professionals; it's going all the way down to you know people earning you know fifty bucks a week um, for playing football. Rather, um, it's it's a bad look for the game with the Rashford incident. I haven't seen the Sano one in particular. I did see the Kane one. I understand what you're saying in regards to that, Kevin. Um, but the Rashford one—that's a perfect example of one where I feel you could easily. Uh, dish out retrospective punishment um, because all the replays and all the all the people that haven't, other than Gary Neville and Joe, Jose Mourinho and the United players, everyone seems unanimous in their thought that it was a dive. Uh, it's also a case, an incident, where the um, video technology w- could have and would have been used and most likely would have um, changed the decision. It did seem on the week weekend, I think it was Neil Strawberry was the referee for the United game. Um, wasn't going to give the penalty. and then I think on his linesman advice, linesman's advice uh, gave the penalty. there was a slight delay. Um, but in the end, if retrospective punishment, doesn't come in more, more readily, more, more often, and the VA, video assistant referees don't come into play. It, it's a large part of it. Does come down to how the managers um, react to their own players? Because yes, it, like people have mentioned already, uh, managers are quick to uh, criticise opposition players, but that's that doesn't really make much difference. It's when you when you're prepared to call out your own players, um, and that. Mourinho adding to the list of things that frustrate me about him, but you know, that's he's not the only one. Um, for his spot, yeah. Um,
0: I, th- I think this is a really interesting take. I hadn't really thought about the manager side of it. I know, um, players have taken accountability in the past. I know, uh, Andros Townsend, when he was first coming through, had a pretty egregious dive and got carded for it. Um, and after the match, he said, you know, he apologized to the fans and said that he didn't want people to think of him as that kind of player. And I thought that was very big of him. Um, I think there are two things that could very much help. Oh, I obviously think it's an issue. Um, uh, I think there are two things that could help. The first is we need to see more referees giving fouls for players standing up. It happened in a Tottenham match earlier this season where it was pretty egregious and somebody was just dragging all over Dembele. But Dembele's just a very strong player, and so tried to stay up to continue the chance. And it was one of those situations where, as a fan, you're very glad to see a player not diving. But simultaneously, you're in a match that I think was level at the time, and saying, well, if he he had gone down, we would have gone early. And I think that's kind of the, uh, not to get too um, (laughs) grandiose with this idea, but that's something that's kind of corrupting the nature of the game that fans that inherently are against diving could be in a situation where even you have to step back and be like, oh, well, we, we could have been ahead if that had been called, if he had gone down. And I, I think that's a very big problem. I do think video referring is a way to go. I know some others may not agree with that. Um, it's been tested in the Netherlands this year a lot, and it's gone very well over there. Uh, although I do think there was one pretty big uh, mistake that was made, which is always an issue with things in the, that are still in their infancy, um, as if there is an issue with something like that. Uh, like a weird segue, but um, the self-driving cars when like everybody thought there had been an accident, all of a sudden that could have really hurt that industry, but it turned out it was the guy's fault. (laughs) Similar thing. It it has to be almost perfect um, for it to be accepted by everybody. But uh, I I just think the referees, (laughs) a don't get enough money in a sport with so many millions and millions of pounds um, for the kind of pressure they get and b, with players that are constantly trying to kind of, unfortunately deceive their way into things. I think managers calling out players is great. If more players could call themselves out, I think that'd be great. If the referees could call more standing fouls where the players don't have to go to ground just to get the call, that'd be great. And I think video refereeing as kind of an umbrella solution uh, would really help, uh, maybe not eliminate, but at least go a far way towards getting us to a place where none of us have to worry about this week on week.
2: Um, I just want to make it clear that I'm not a a fan of uh, video assistant referees. Really? That's on the record. Interesting. Uh,
0: any particular reason? I, I know, Catherine, you're not a particular fan either, so we'd be interested to to hear the other side of that that opinion.
2: Uh, I just feel it's a very clunky process. Um, of course, it can be um, refined, but even in other sports, I still don't think it's. I don't think it's perfect. Um, it's still, there's a, there's a process that. Um, Delays that the, the delays the game. I was speaking to you guys earlier. There was an incident in the in the Australian A League on the weekend. I won't go into it too much, but if you Google uh, A League video assistant referee, you'll find it. Um, and basically, the the goal was disallowed. Play went on for about thirty seconds, and then it went back, and the goal was given. And that was in our semi final. So on the, the second biggest occasion in Australian football, you know, it's, and. And even even with the video assistant referee, it's pretty much fifty-fifty on whether the call was right, because um, basically once you introduce it, there's a can of worms of what are we ruling on? Um, the Rashford one, going back to that, that's one where I feel the video assistant referee could make a good make a call, the, but the Kane one, you know, that's I'm, I'm imagining you would agree That's. that'd be something harder to say, oh, well, we did, there was, there was more of a, more of a, um, a foul on Kane. Mm. So it's hard.
1: Exactly. Um, for goal line technology. So we've got in the champions league, we do have some kind of video assisted referee there. Um, it's much more cut and dried as to whether the ball has definitely crossed the line there. There's obviously a lot more comes into play when it's, um, a foul in the box there's obviously loads of opinions loads of angles to look at and so on Um, and I just think we need to be careful not to turn football into a science and you know it'll just become very boring and you'll lose the real beauty of the game which is is the excitement that anything can happen and even though my club were at the end of a particularly poor decision this weekend that that kind of is football and you know you want to talk about the game and have things like that happen to keep it interesting in a way kind of sounds like i'm almost um approving <laughs> that penalty this weekend
3: I still, but, think, um, I still think there'll be there'll be plenty of decisions on the field where they're going to be contentious but i think when it comes to the really important decisions that's when we need to be sure i mean i don't think we should have video refereeing for deciding whether it's a corner kick or a goal kick or whether it's a throwing which way the throwing's going or you know, a, a, a tackle on the in the center circle that could go either way. I think we need video technology for the times when we want to spot diving, the times that we want to spot whether it's a two-footy tackle in the area or whether someone's handballed it clearly in the area where it's going to so, be. Because... So
0: would you just limit it oh. to, to the penalty area then? Just everything oh, happening within it? Oh.
3: That 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 might well be a way of doing it, but I think with the technology that we've got now, I think it would be it would be completely remiss of the game to completely ignore the ability to be able to get decisions right in key areas that are going to cost teams points and eventually cost teams a lot of money. And and as much as yeah, it is it is great for the spectacle to have Gary Neville and Carragher and Thierry Henry spending 20 minutes of their paid time to be uh, to be a pundit, discussing whether they think it was a handball in the box or not. Maybe those same pundits might talk about the passages of play that have led to a very good goal instead, because there's always going to be something to talk about with football. I don't think we're ever going to lose the beauty of the game in that regard, because, you know, I, I do feel sometimes that um, that pundits, their jobs are made very easily by by players doing stupid things. And it would be better to see pundits talking about technical ability on a football pitch as opposed to constantly having to look at numerous decisions every game. There is probably two or three big key decisions that someone somewhere thinks someone's got wrong every single Premier League match. And so there's always that to talk about. Remove that away from it. And yeah, there's still plenty to talk about, and it might mean that that um, players get the praise that they deserve when it's warranted, um, and that pundits are needing to to earn their money as opposed to, you know, discussing whether something was a, a penalty or not. Um, that's my take on it.
1: I just think that is a really good point about the pundits. Actually, um, you can see it when they're in the studio, they're obviously desperate for something contentious to happen and then that's half time wrapped up for them isn't it um and you de- they don't necessarily need to be any more knowledgeable than whoever's watching it down the pub at that particular point i think that's a that's yeah an interesting point to make
0: yeah because then it turns yeah. into a new show of one person saying it is and one person saying it isn't and just letting people choose
2: a side yeah yep. yeah i think dan I think Dan saying it how it is well, once again on that on um, on that point after the Rashford decision, um, obviously that led into halftime. The com- the sort of segue before the break, before the show, um, the halftime show. They were like, and of course we'll just we'll mull over the big decision of the first half, and it's like it sort of detracts from the fact that United have played honking in the first half and just looking at breaking spending five ten minutes on one particular foul one particular decision and you're right so anyone anyone can do that you've got professional footballers surely in the studio surely you can get something a bit more um maybe astute out of them
0: Yeah, I think those are all excellent points, but unfortunately we do need to head on from there uh, into Player Watch, where we'll each quickly discuss a player that impressed and one that disappointed for us in our club's most recent fixture. If anyone didn't do one or the other, (laughs) which may be impressed for you guys if nobody did that, uh, you could talk about somebody that stood out from the other side. Uh, We'll lead in with you, Catherine.
1: Um, Well, I was very impressed this uh, weekend at the Riverside. Um, After a fairly disappointing season it has to be said and being regularly disappointed um almost everyone on the pitch was fantastic at the weekend uh but the player I'm going to pull out is uh Callum Chambers who is our defender on loan from Arsenal at the minute um and he recently had a couple of months out but since he's come back from injury um next to Ben Gibson looking really 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 strong um and also got his first goal for us today so it's going to be um very interesting for Borough fans to see if we can potentially hang on to him in the summer. I'm not sure if he will have a future at Arsenal, but um, he's going to do very well wherever he goes.
0: Anybody that disappointed?
1: Uh, no, honestly. Um, <laughs> and any other match that you'd had me on here, I'd be able to reel off a few, but um, there as an excellent all-round team performance and um, a few players who did very, very well, uh, including Brad Guzan as well, who... Come under fire lately for leaking quite a lot of goals and making bad decisions at free kicks. Um, but he was also excellent,
0: all right. And Dan, um, player
3: to impress, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's gone that well, huh? But, yeah, it's, it's really tough to pick out one man. I mean, Gareth McCauley. He, he had a knock to the head and he was bleeding everywhere and he did a Terry Butcher-style headband and then he decided to take it off and he was brave and everything. Maybe he should get it for that. Um, in terms of players that didn't impress, as you, and you know Kevin, which highly I think of this player, Solomon Rondon yeah. had a bad game. Um, he gave the ball away to Vardy in the centre of the pitch. Um, sorry, he gave the ball, I think it was to Akazaki, with fed uh, Vardy in for for pretty much a a one-on-one with Ben Foster and he he slotted away really well. Um, And so, I I do have to say, Rondon did have a poor one, but you know, I'm I'm definitely very much behind him. He's he's clearly still got a a talented footballer and despite many Albion fans being unwilling to back him in this current age of hatred towards footballers all the time. so yeah. Um just hope we can maybe pick up a point before the end of the season. That'd be cool. <laughs> Love the optimism,
2: Dylan. Um so probably in the city match, Blind was probably the most impressive player there. He's coming back back into the back into the centre back partnership for Manchester United. Um there were some concerns about that, but I think he's a very smart player. I don't think he's got all the attributes to make a great center back, but I think he's smart enough and he adjusted well um, to coming back into partner Bay for the city game in the Swansea game. I can't say I was impressed with, with really anyone Um, other than Gilfie who everyone loves. um, He was fantastic for, for the Swans and disappointed Rashford, you know, it was disappointing in the, purest pure sense of the word um, and Martial was a bit off it Lingard had a pretty pretty quiet game um, yeah there was a lot of a lot of uh, Manchester United players not at the races in the Swansea game
0: what was your view of the whole uh, Herrera Sigurdsson mind games thing with Lorente, kind of as the pawn there
2: do you mean for the free kick yeah well As you're well aware, Sigurdsson's one of the best uh, dead ball um, players in the Premier League. So on one hand, you know, Laurente, who's, you know, one of the best target men in the Premier League, the fact that he was there, Sigurdsson could have easily picked him out from then a one-on-one with with De Gea. Um, But on the other hand, obviously, Herrera's... Because I think Herrera would have stayed there if if L'Oriente hadn't hadn't moved up. But clearly, you know, L'Oriente's a was watching the game. Um, you could have argued Unlike that Vangor. perhaps you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you could have argued that someone should have went to mark uh, um to encourage uh, Gilfy to have a shot, and then it should have either hit Herrera or De Gea should have made the save, but. Phew, I think in that situation, you've got to give all the credit to Sigurdsson for, for one, putting in a fantastic free kick, and, two, um, the fact that he's so well-known for his free kicks, where even thought to stand on the post.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair reflection of that. Uh, for Tottenham, I think um, Wanyama, especially in the second match, was ridiculous. There were multiple times he was our furthest player forward And I do not know how that kept happening. He had an outside-of-the-boot pass to Kane that was just sublime on a fast break. I'm sure you're thinking, Wanyama on a fast break? Correct. Yeah, I don't know why that kept happening. I have no idea why he kept getting so far forward on the counter. But he had been terrific for the majority of the match. I think I'm going to give it to uh, Super Jan Vertonghen, though who is just imperious at the back again. I, I think a case could be made that he's actually been our best center back this season, despite how just naturally uh, amazing and talented Toby Alderweireld is. Um, this is pretty significantly Jan Vertonghen's best season at Tottenham, despite the fact he was in the team of the year his first year. But a lot of that came from scoring goals, and that, that's a topic for a whole nother day, the, the player evaluation based on goal scoring. Um but I was just so impressed with Jan. Kept everything tidy at the back. There were only really two chances for Arsenal in this match. And both of them came from mistakes. Um, but the fact that we were able to to mitigate their attack so well. Uh, you know, I, I know that they haven't been exactly... Uh, been on a terrific run of form of late. Um, but was very, very impressed with Jan Vertonghen. And I mentioned on the show before. If, if you stand out as a center back uh, without scoring a goal or without making a clear mistake... That's a very easy way for me to evaluate a center back and say, like, that player is fantastic. As if, if a center back who is just shielding the ball well or marshalling play or directing it inwards into the strength of the defense or man-marking somebody if that's what he's been tasked to do, if they stand out while doing things like that that aren't flashy or the cameras don't constantly track, um, it's always very impressive. And I think Jan Vertonghen had a terrific match on the day. Uh, if anybody disappointed... Uh... This was not Trippier's best match um, since getting starts, but it wasn't horrible. Uh, Oh man, really hard to say who disappointed in a 2-0 win against Arsenal at White Hart Lane for the last North London derby there. Um, Nope, Sun was great. Actually, you know, Della Ali was kind of absent for a large part of this match, aside from the goal. uh, We tried that in-play, quote-unquote, set piece that we do. Uh, where Toby lobs the ball on the diagonal run to, to Ali, just didn't come off a couple of times. But it really didn't seem like he was that involved. I mean, Sun and Davis on the left were just the, the, the beginning of basically everything in the first half, um, just taking advantage of that Oxlade-Chamberlain thing. Uh, if we're going to do disappointed, I mean, Otzel and Alexis. If, if you're a neutral, surely tuning into this game, you're expecting to see more from them. Uh, in a match that meant so much on both sides, because Arsenal needed those three points to get back into Champions League contention. Um, So yeah, I'm I'm not going to say anybody disappointed for us, really, but Arsenal certainly should come away from that match not feeling very good about where they stand. And and Wenger can go on all he wants about one year being less than 20. It's correct. That's true. But I think you can really tell by the walkout in the press conference, by the nerviness from the players, by the reactions of the fans... um, uh, of just trying to stamp out any little glimmer of Tottenham joy that popped up this weekend, that that shows the level of concern that they have about what we're building at Tottenham. And I think that's something that we should be proud of. All right. And that will do it for us today. So if you folks would like to tell people where they could find you or any projects you're working on, now would be a good time.
1: I'm Catherine Wilson. I write for ESPNFC about Middlesbrough. And you can follow me on Twitter at Berslady.
3: I've been Dan from um, 1878.net, West Bromwich Albion fan site. Um, Plenty of Albion content, uh, sometimes intermittently. I'm a very busy guy. Um, But yeah, there's still plenty of Albion content there. Not that too many people are going to be that interested, to be honest. Um, We're pretty shit at the minute. Um, And you can find me on Twitter, at thewatch 22 um, And I'll soon be... Uh, blogging for um, the newspaper, the Birmingham Mail, um, and that'll be online and and printed. um, So you'll be able to catch me on that soonish. Cheers for listening, to.
2: My name is Dylan Arvella. Thanks again for having me on. Most of my work these days is for Football South Coast uh, in Australia. I've also been doing a bit of writing about the FFA Cup going on at the moment in Australia. Um, yeah, disgruntled Manchester United fan, but I understand that it is worse for some other other supporters at the moment. Shout out to the late orient fans that listen to the show. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on on Twitter, Dylan Arvella.
0: Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin Devries. Uh, you can also catch me on the FPL Roundtable uh, with my good friend Rob. Uh, you can also. Uh, find me over at Goal.com where I'm the lead fantasy writer. Uh, I think it's four articles coming from me this week. Two Champions League, two Premier League. Uh, what else do we got? Oh, also uh, DFS videos from VIPBet.com. Also, uh, write when I can for TheEaglesBeak.com. So be sure to go check that out as well. All right, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure as always. And we hope you keep listening.